What is up, everybody, and welcome to episode 298 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. I am not in my normal recording setup, so my apologies for the sound, but I am on the road for work and graciously joining me this evening. And by the way, because it's trade deadline season, we should say it is Sunday. It is 7.22 p.m. Eastern time as we're recording this, so keep that in mind. And Scott Coleman is here. Hello, sir. Hey, Brad. Yeah, absolutely guaranteed that as soon as this gets posted, the Braves will have a rumor or make a trade. Um, Who knows what the next week or so will hold for this team, but um, good to be on with you and and hope everybody out there is doing okay. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, the bar is a little bit higher this week for emergency podcast because I am on the road, but I'll do this here at the top of the podcast. You've probably seen this on your podcast feeds, but if you haven't, I've done some voiceovers at the beginning of these to explain them, but we have basically implemented a new show on the podcast network. It's called The Daily Hammer. It is primarily hosted by Sean Coleman, but you'll also hear, I think, some of your familiar voices in the future as well, but Sean's done a great job. There are three of those. It's basically going to be a bite-sized, more of a daily kind of podcast, not seven days a week by any means, but more of a breaking news or game recap kind of 10, 15 minutes to sort of catch up on the latest with the Braves in between all of our other shows. No changes other than that. So Talking Chop Podcast with myself and Scott and Eric primarily will be will still be here. Road to Atlanta, same thing. So just a little bit of extra content on your feed. And uh, go ahead and click that auto-download feature. We, we always love when people download the show. So yes. all that all helps that's us it. Out. Yeah, really does. It helps <laughs> us out. And uh, hopefully uh, there should be, this is a busy time of year. There should be plenty of good stuff on those feeds. As you said, Sean did a really nice job last week as it launched. So be sure to check those out each morning. Shouts to Sean. Uh, all right. With that out of the way, uh, we are going to talk about the trade deadline in a little bit. And also, uh, my son, Tuki Toussaint, doing things this week. That's coming up, I promise you. But we uh, we need to start with Ender, which is a little bit strange. Uh, but Ender Inciarte is no longer a member of the organization, as at least as, as of this moment. He's been DFA'd as of Saturday after he came off the IL. I guess technically he could return, um, but... I've been treating this as if it's uh, it's a DFA. We have to assume as if he's not going to be back. And uh, it was a heck of a run in some respects. Lately, not as much. But uh, what was your reaction, Scott, when the word broke that uh, Ender was uh, not going to be on the team anymore? Mm. An Ender of an era. You like that one? I spent all week. That was like a New York last... Post headline. That was nice. Enjoy that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, now, Ender, he has been well chronicled on this podcast and elsewhere. Um Looking back on his years with the Braves, he uh, was very valuable and an important piece, of course, coming over in the Shelby Miller trade. Um, but unfortunately, when looking back, the way I will remember him is he was good on some Braves teams that were just not very good, frankly, in, in 2016, 2017, when the team was was struggling in, in the bottom five or bottom 10 of the standings, basically the whole way. He was a solid player, of course, just outstanding defense and a a solid contact hitter. We, we always laugh. He did have that year where he had the 200 hits. Um, and, and he, he brought value for a team that really did not have a whole lot of good going on outside of, of Freddie Freeman and a couple others. Um, but of course, as the Braves got good and became a playoff team, it seemed like Ender, his profile fell off a cliff. He battled some injuries. I, I know the hamstring has been a problem for him on and off for the better part of two or three seasons now. Um, but ultimately, if if he has indeed played his final game, and it, it certainly seems that way with the Braves, um, yeah, it, it was a mixed legacy and, and one where there was certainly some surplus value. And we talk about that trade being as as good as it was for Atlanta, 
dealing Shelby Miller for for Dansby and Ender and Aaron Blair, uh, who actually popped up in the news the other day signing a, a minor league deal with the Giants. We'll see if they can save his career. But with Ender, he is who he was, and and uh, I, I don't know what what was your takeaway on Ender's time in Atlanta? Yeah, it's interesting. It sort of prompted me to go back and look look at some of the numbers, and they were, they were kind of what I thought they were. I mean, we we have joked as you said about the two hundred hit season and. There was a time in which Ender was probably overrated by Braves fans, and there was also a time in which he was underrated, I think. Um, and that's the kind of player that he was. You know, For instance, when he had 200 hits and hit 300, people thought that he was this great hitter. And if you look at the numbers, he was more of like a league average hitter because he didn't have power. And even when he was good, the first four years that he was with the Braves, he was a pretty good player, a pretty good regular um, and even that he slugged less than 400 in those seasons. So it was batting average, not a lot of ton of walks, just a lot of singles and all that stuff. But defensively, he used to be awesome. I mean, Ender was, if not the best defensive center fielder in the league, on the short list for a while. And that led him to yeah. be basically worth about 10 war in four seasons to start with his brace career, which is not like off the charts. But if you're a league average hitter or worse, that means your defense is pretty good to be carrying you to that kind of level. So I'm with you, though. You know, good player when the team was not great and when the team got good, he just wasn't quite there yet. He's somehow only 30 years old. He feels like he'd be older than that. Mm. Um, yeah. But, you know, since the beginning of the 2020 season, so this is it's two shortened seasons, but uh, this is now since last year. He has a 48 WRC plus in the last two seasons, which Oof. his yeah. slugging is 277. So, like, the wheels have come off. You know, part of that's injuries for sure. But even then, uh, he was already kind of tailing off it, on top of that. So maybe he gets healthy one at some point in time and fills a role on a team. But... I think gone are the days where he's actually a starter, uh, at least yeah. regularly. At least his defense, it can be kind of uh, interesting. But even then, he kind of lost a step defensively, too. Like, I think he's still pretty good when he's healthy. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird tenure overall. But I will say this. To this point in time, the Braves got more out of Ender than they did anybody else in that, in that famous deal with Arizona. Like, he was still yeah. – he was better in his first four seasons than Dancy's been to this point, which is yeah. kind of wild, but it's true. Yeah, it's easy to – you know, of course, we're talking about he was good and – what was it, 2016 and 2017, where he had his two pretty good years. Um, a little bit of time has passed on, and maybe you, know, you can always play this game, but if Ender's good years came with the 2019 and, and 2018 <laughs> Braves when yep. they were you know, making the playoffs and winning divisions, maybe when we look back on his time in five or ten years, we think about him and what he meant a little bit differently. Um, yeah, I I, I don't think his big league career is over. I think he could probably catch on as a fifth outfielder on the team. Um, you know, as you said, he is he is a far cry from the gold glove center fielder that he used to be. But there is something to be said for someone you could throw out there in a in a backup role. And uh, but the fact that with all of the Braves' injuries and suspensions in the outfield between Acuna and Ozuna, Pache not really being ready yet for the majors. The fact that Ender was was basically never playing, I think, speaks volumes to where he's at right now. Yeah, and uh, last thing, you know, the Braves owe him the remainder of his salary for this year, which is a good chunk of money, and they also have to buy out a team option for about a million next year. Uh, sort of in the same vein as his performance early in that early earlier in his tenure, that contract looked like a great deal. Uh, you know, eight million a year or so for what he was giving them was a really good value, and it was locked up multiple years. They gave him a little bit more uh, on the extension, but that didn't actually work out that well. But uh, there was a time on this podcast, so not that long ago, three, four years ago, where it was like, Ender's this great value on his contract. And then the last year or so, it's like, oh man, they got, they got to pay Ender still. <laughs> so it was uh, yeah. really now, weird. Uh, funny enough, so his original deal would have run out, his his normal 
rookie contract would have ended at the end of 2020. So, you know, in, in the long run, Ender signed that deal and there was some surplus value. And of course, that fell off dramatically at the end. But this year was really the one extra year that the Braves bought out with his deal. And and then, of course, as you mentioned, they have the option for next year, which will, uh, assuming he is not with the organization, will certainly be <laughs> declined at nine million dollars. But, yeah, it is funny how I'm glad you brought that up. It's funny how over the course of time, contracts go from being, wow, this they got a good value on this one to, oh, my goodness, can we, you know, what can we do to save a few dollars here? Yeah, we'll always have the 200 hit season to bring things full circle on Ender. That did happen. We all watched it. Uh, yep. Ender fever at that moment in time. And also, shouts to Ender's Twitter presence, which is uh, still legendary as he's blocked everyone at some point in time. Uh, that was also adding <laughs> to his said, legacy. People said that he was going to block the Braves' official account. He may have. Uh, who knows? <laughs> By this point in time, when you listen to this, it's, it would not surprise uh, me if Ender had blocked the Braves' account. I know he blocked me at one point. There's a 100% chance of that. So, yep. uh, All right. Well, it's, that's enough of that. We'll get to some news quickly here on the injury front before we dive into a little bit of baseball and then also some deadline stuff later on in the show. But the Braves released a bunch of injury updates. Uh, Ian Anderson still several days away from being reexamined. So we'll see what happens with Ian. Obviously, he is the guy who has not been out for as long as like Darno and you know, but Anderson's somebody that they're going to have to be careful with. Uh, he is a prize player of the future and we'll get into this later on, but this season is uh, not going according to plan, of course. So uh, it might even in the middle of a playoff race, quote unquote, might be prudent to take your time a little bit with Anderson. But um, is that kind of where your head is at with, with regard to this? Obviously updates are few of our, we're kind of at the mercy of what they tell us on Anderson, but he's still not out there right now. Yeah, you certainly have to be careful here. Um, if, if it was, if, if there was a week left in the season and you were tied in first place, and, and who knows, maybe this season will come down to that at some point, but you just cannot risk a serious injury. It sounds like it was really more just of the inflammation type with, with Ian's shoulder. Um, you certainly want to avoid a, a structural injury of some kind and give him all the time he needs. When this happened a couple weeks ago, you and I were talking about how you – you give him every day and then probably a few more days to make sure he's back to 100%. And, uh, you, you certainly don't want to damage the long-term product here for a, a – I don't want to call it a meaningless start or two <laughs> in August. But um, as things stand, it is just nowhere near the risk of throwing him out there until he really does feel better. Yeah, I guess he played catch on Thursday, so a few days ago now, and things went well, and Snicker had some upbeat stuff about his shoulder, so – We'll see what happens there. It would not surprise me if he was back relatively soon. I guess there is a period of time if it passes where he might have to like throw a rehab start because like you can't just if it's a month, for instance, that's only two weeks from now. Basically, if it's a month, they probably won't just throw him out there. They're gonna have to like ramp him back up a little bit. But we'll see on that front. Um, Darno and Enoa. Darno is traveling with the team, which is good. Swing with two hands. Like all indications are, he could be back fairly soon. They keep saying just August, which is a pretty broad. Timeline, of course, but he seems to be getting closer, knock on wood, and you know he's going to have a rehab assignment in Florida, so they're both, yeah. like, inching closer, and beyond that, like, you know, Ronnie had his ACL surgery this week. We knew, we knew that was coming, but now it's actually happened, and that's kind of when the clock starts on his rehab, because, you know, for those of you who don't know this, like, you have to wait for the swelling to go down, basically. You can't yeah. just have the surgery the day the injury happens. you got to wait, so I know they had to wait a little bit longer than I, I even thought. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, they just had the surgery today, but... That's what happens sometimes. You got to wait. So he had that a few days ago, and his recovery has begun. Yeah, for Acuna, you, you mentioned it was really about ten days from the time that he tore his knee to the time he had surgery. I I am not a knee expert by any means, and it sounds like Ronald 
I'm blanking on the surgeon's name, but he is based out of Los Angeles. And somebody noted that he has worked on like every sports figure's knees at some point. I think he's he also on... the same guy. If, if I'm sure we have some Hawks fan uh, crossover. He's done the last two major surgeries on Hawks players, uh, DeAndre Hunter and Onyeka Kongwu. Both had surgery in like the last like month, and he did both surgeries. And I was, and all these Hawks fans were like, "Oh, that's the Hawks guy!" When they got the release, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think in addition to that, he worked on Tom Brady's knee. He worked on, I think, Patrick Mahomes at some point. So this guy who Ronald had his surgery with is obviously a world-renowned surgeon. You hope that the fact that it was only ten days between surgery and uh, an injury that he's able to, of course, make a full recovery and. And the swelling wasn't too, too bad. And, of course, now he begins a lengthy rehab process. But, um, yeah, you, you obviously hope for the best with Ronald. And I think with, with Travis Darnot, especially given what the state of catching is for the Braves for the last month, Kevin Smith uh, has has basically become the starting catcher for this team. I know Stephen Vogt has made a handful of, of starts, though, at his age. He's like 37. I, I don't think he can catch every day at this point. Um, any Anyone. Literally anyone is is probably going to be an upgrade over Kevin Smith, and if including Contreras, by the way, who's a, who's been looking pretty good in the minors. Oh, yeah, which is encouraging. Contreras has been outstanding over the last two weeks. I think he was Player of the Week uh, in in AAA last week as well, which is which is a great sign. But yes, if if they can get Darno back and he's even close to what he was doing this time last summer, it would be a boost. And uh, right now, as we've seen, this lineup is is extremely top heavy, and it feels like if the top five or so aren't producing that night, there's just not a lot of hope. And if you can get Darno healthy and back to a level close to where he was, it, it will certainly help this lineup on a nightly basis. Yeah, and I know over the weekend there was a report, maybe even Sticker said this, that he could be in a rehab assignment by the end of this upcoming week. So you could see him in Atlanta in the next two weeks. That would be uh, obviously an optimistic timeline, I think, for Darno, but. You, you said it well there. Uh, the baseline catcher for the Braves this year has been pretty hideous in his absence, yeah. aside from the early Contreras days when he was hot. So uh, Darno, even with all the built-in uh, that we thought he might be taking a step back this year, uh, even that guy with a step back or two would be a lot better than what they've had so far. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that goes without saying, I think. Um, last injury thing quickly here. Drew Smiley left the game on Saturday with knee pain, they said, and he is tentatively scheduled to pitch this week. Uh, I'll just point this out. We, we don't know anything about, about the knee right now. But uh, our our favorite son, Drew Smiley, has a sub three ERA in the last two months. Yeah, he is. He has turned it around. I mean, there were you and I talked on this very podcast in May. Like, you know, is is this guy going to be kicked out of the rotation here? Are they going to have to send him to Gwinnett? I I think he was one, maybe two starts away from being banished. That's how bad he was. Well, and really, I was I was looking back at his starts early in the year, and, and it was really more miss than hit. But in a handful of those starts, when the overall numbers were not good, all of the damage, which was well chronicled, was done the third time through the order. So if you would look at his game logs, through four or five innings, he would only give up a run, maybe two. And then he would go through the lineup a third time and give up four runs in in a span of five minutes, and his line would would look a lot worse. Obviously, you have to be able to work into games to be successful, but um, to your point, a sub-three ERA over the last two months, especially in a time where this this rotation has struggled to stay healthy and has lost a handful of guys to injury, has been big, and he's a reason why the Braves, even though they, they just can't get above 500 and make a run here, 
they have stayed in the mix with the Mets because of of him and Charlie Morton, who's also been outstanding lately. Um, those two have really been the rocks of this rotation, and, and they're keeping the team in it. Yeah, the pitching, uh, as we talked about last with Eric, it was kind of crazy. The pitching had been so good for about a month that they needed to be better than they've been in the standings because they just were not going to pitch as good as they had for about a month now. And um, we'll get into the results in a second from this week. But, uh, yeah, I mean, credit to Morton and Smiley in particular. But, you know, Morton we kind of thought was going to be good this year and has been good. Smiley turning it around has been an unsung part of them hanging around as you sort of lay out there. Like, no one's going to care if they don't make their run and make the playoffs and that stuff. And Drew Smiley's not, still not, like, blowing everybody away. But he's been legitimately productive and good for, you know, nine starts now, which is uh, not nothing for, uh, you know, basically, unless he just completely implodes, his contract is not is not actually, not a disaster anymore. Like, that that was a deal that we didn't hate, actually, compared to most people did. Um, and I know it may not be terribly sexy for what they paid him, but... Given this two months, it's kind of worth it on a one-year deal. I mean, I want to overstate it, but it's it looks yeah. fine now. <laughs> yeah, as as we've said, I think the timing of it was just the weirdest thing. Yes, and that was always what agreed what caught people by surprise. It happened right around Thanksgiving, before anybody else had signed, and it seemed at that point, even with all the uncertainty following the COVID season, that that the Braves were going to spend big and have a big budget and et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, that that was not the case. But you're right. I mean, if if he even has if he can kind of stay the course over the next whatever we have left eight weeks in the season uh yeah a one-year deal for 11 million as you said it's nothing sexy it's it's not like he's in the running for Cy Young and it it looks like another Jake Arrieta reincarnated situation but it, it is you know it's it's fair market value and and he has certainly thrown important innings for the team the last couple of weeks he absolutely has. Um, all right, before we get into some Tukey love, which is coming, I promise I'm trying to hold myself back as, as we speak right now, Scott. Uh, before we get to that, though, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, Scott, we have to discuss. Uh, we'll save trade deadline stuff to the end, but Tuki Toussaint did a thing this week with two starts. Uh, I want you to sing the song. Nobody on this podcast feed wants to hear me sing. I can guarantee that. I want to hear um, it right now. But uh, the Tuki song <laughs> is, I hope every time he comes in, people play that song because it. I know it's been stuck in my head for, for well, a while. Well, listen, now. I mean, you have to, it's kind of a Braves deep cut. Like, you have to know where it comes from. Yes. But if you read, you just go to Scott's Twitter page. You'll you'll read. I'm not going to try to just ruin our listeners with this now, but uh, Tuki has been coming, as they say. Looky, looky. Here he comes. Um, all that said, like, going back to the Carlos days on this podcast, and I actually added Carlos on a tweet this week about this. 
uh, Tuki was kind of my favorite prospect, and I'm not a prospect guy, as, we, as we've all talked about forever. I am not the guy to ask about, about prospects aside from Jesse Franklin. Um, but I, my heart is incredibly full. I don't really get excited anymore about prospects for the most part. I try not to, unless it's like a Ronald Acuna absurdity. But Tuki was like my guy, even three, four years ago, even longer than that. And uh, having him come back, it's only two starts, but he was really, really good on Tuesday and even better today. Uh, and I, I don't even know what to say about that. It was, it was his first action in the majors in almost a calendar year, and he just looked incredible. And like, I don't want to go yeah. crazy because it's always been flashes with him and it can't be consistent. But man, two starts in a row, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth, right? I, I know uh, a lot of people were, were talking today about how you don't want to overreact to to two starts, but man, Tukey looked awesome. He's faced two good lineups. This is not like he just beat up on the Marlins and the Pirates, and it's like, well, yeah, he was good, but you know, let's see how he does against the Padres and the Phillies. No, I mean, he was outstanding against the Padres on Tuesday night, Um Worked into the seventh inning, five strikeouts, just five base runners and one run allowed, which was really impressive. Um, and then Sunday, man, that was that was as dominant as we have seen. I mean, not only Tukey, but any young Braves pitcher over the last couple of seasons, that was outstanding. Uh, he was throwing strikes. He had 41 called strikes or swing and misses, which is like <laughs> elite. Somebody pointed that out. That is like the, yeah, that's wild. That is what the true aces of the game get on a fairly regular basis. I mean, 41 either non swings and called strikes or they swung and missed that. That is a great level. It's not like guys were, were fouling him off and, and then making strong contact after that. Um, no walks too, which was maybe the, the best part of it. And this is a Phillies team that has high walk rates between Hoskins and Harper and Real Muto all rank pretty highly on the walk leaderboard list. Uh, he was very, very good. And if, you know, he's a little bit older, he's been around for a bit, but nothing says you have to have it all figured out by the time you're 21 years old. Um, if this is the real Tuki Toussaint, the Braves are in good, good shape. That'd be nice. I will keep my guard up as much as, much as possible. Uh, you know, it, everyone knows how talented he is. There was a reason why, you know, even a few years ago, you would. Not, no one had him at number one in the system, but people would always ask, like, who had the highest upside? And a lot of the answers were Tukey. If you watch him, if you watch him this week, that's that's why. I mean, he's not going to always look like that. I wouldn't imagine. Maybe he will. Maybe he just becomes Jacob deGrom. I don't think that's going to happen. But he looked incredible, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Again, I don't want to overstate that, <laughs> say it again and again, but I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, my heart is warm. That's where I will leave, that's where I will leave that on Tukey. It is. There is something nice to be said for guys who you really do feel strongly about and have followed and talked about for, you know, four years now since that trade happened. Um, it is nice to see them succeed. You go from seeing them in the lower levels of the minor leagues. And of course, by all accounts, Tukey is an A plus dude and a good teammate and a good guy off the field. It is always nice to see those types succeed. Absolutely. So, uh, fingers crossed on his next start. I assume he'll be getting another one. And, uh, We'll see how that goes this week. Uh, big series coming up, by the way, which we'll get into in a second. But uh, quickly, we're not going to belabor the results from this week. Uh, it was a frustrating week, as there have been so many of those this season. A uh, couple of things that I want to always say out loud, and you can interject if you'd like to. Uh, Wednesday, it was a long time ago now, game one against the Padres. Uh, they were down one nothing after four in a seven-inning game and brought in Shane Green to face the top of the order, and it went exactly how you thought it would go, uh, and they lost by one run in that game. 
which is a snicker special this season. That's probably been the number one complaint of us is that he just punts these close games, and that was another example. Shane Green, by the way, I'm guilty of this too. Uh, we we all kind of wanted them to sign Shane Green, and he has been dreadful. I, I think we know with Shane why nobody else signed him in the offseason. It, it seems I mean, that they, is the case now, yes. Yeah. <laughs> there, there were a couple of red flags. I mean, I don't think anyone – I mean, if the Braves had better options, I think they would have probably cut ties with Shane already, but they, they obviously don't have many options at this point. But, yeah, that, that, that one has not worked out. And maybe there he can figure something out in these last two months, but I, I think it's apparent why he did not exactly have a, a line of GMs waiting for him this, this past winter. Yeah, it was uh, not to, not to go crazy again, but he pitched in that tight game in the fifth and again in a, in a seven inning game. And then the reminder of where Shane Green is now and where he probably should have been originally is that he pitched in the 12 run blowout on Saturday night in the ninth. So he went from pitching pretty high leverage to being clearly the last guy in the bullpen because he pitched up 10 or whatever it was, 11 runs in the ninth on Saturday. So that is his more appropriate role at this point, is the full-on uh, mop-up guy at the end of the game. The um, bullpen flow chart is always a good one. It is always a um, – it's a standard on the spot, guys. I, I kind of feel bad, but at least once a week, it does feel like there's just something that's just totally nonsensical in bullpen deployment, and that was the one this week for me. It was like, okay, yeah. what happened? I guess it was because – you could say that it was because Shane Green was bad on Wednesday that that's what prompted Snickers to move him to the, to the back of the line, but that's probably yeah. giving him too much credit. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, the Philly, Philly series, I want to ask you about this. They changed the lineup uh, construction, and you know, there's always a the debate about how important that is, but they went to Jock Peterson. They, sl- they slid Ozzy in the two slot between Jock and Freddie with Riley hitting fourth. That was the top four. Uh, it went pretty well. On Thursday, obviously, you know, Dan's gets to get to Grand Slam. That was a nice swing. Um, it's been results have not, you know, been up and down. Obviously, two good games, two not so good games. But broadly speaking, what do you make of that construction? Is that one that you would just yep. use now? Yeah, it would. Um, I, I think that anytime, I mean, you only, the old adage with Ronald Acuna, right, was you only lead off the game once. And then it's just your position in the batting order the second, third, fourth time through. And if you go by that same line of thinking, and I certainly do, having Ozzy second instead of fourth or fifth, wherever he was hitting, makes all the sense in the world, especially against left-handed pitching. The guy is out of his mind against lefty starters. Um, and, and Dansby, he, he is hitting better over the last couple of weeks. He had a couple of, I think he had four extra base hits in the Philly series, which is encouraging, but... 10 times out of 10, the way this team is going right now, I, I like the the Jock, Ozzy, Freddie, Riley top four, Dansby fifth, and then after that, it's it, it really is a little bit of a mess. But I, I do like this lineup, and it's the one I would employ going forward unless they unless they add a, a significant hitter where, of course, then you can evaluate things again. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. You know, my only qualm is that Freddie is so clearly your best hitter that not hitting him in the top two hurts me a little bit in my soul. And my fear would be that Snicker finally put him number two as he should have a long time ago. And now he's back to three and I think he'll just stay there now because that's just what happens. But aside from that, I'm, I'm totally fine. I mean, especially against a righty, it's, it is what it is. Ozzy being up there permanently against right-handed pitching is not ideal because he's not a great hitter against righties. We all kind of, we kind of all know that, but I'm just fine with the top four guys being the top four guys. You know, Jock Peterson, yeah. we could certainly litigate how good he actually is. He's been pretty good with the Braves so far in a small sample size. 
But those are your four most talented hitters. So having them be at the top of the, at the lineup right now is fine. Yeah, and the only thing I would add to that is if then in the later innings with, with Albies batting second, if in a later inning with the three batter minimum, the other team brings in a left-handed reliever to face Jock and Freddie, well, you, you get right-handed Aussie in the middle of that. And of course, Freddie can hit just about anybody. I think it's probably worth mentioning that his incredible streak of of not swinging and missing that expanded like 130 at bats or something <laughs> like that was just nuts i mean i mean he's really dial right now I know, he, I know, he was he was, he was over four today on sunday but before that he was slugging not ops he was slugging 900 since the all-star break yeah until today so he yeah he had a game what must have been saturday night when they scored 15 runs that I mean, he was getting pitched well, and everything was just a line drive somewhere. He had he had a two-run homer as well. Um, yes, Freddie has been very, very good, but I guess to wrap up the lineup thing, yes, I, I, I'm in favor of, of Albies batting second. I think it works a little bit more. Gives Dansby a chance to drive in some runs in the fifth spot. and um, Yeah, I, I, that's the lineup I would use moving forward until something changes. And I think they will, just based on what it is and – what Snit's tendencies are, et cetera. Uh, I will point out, they it was this four-game series against Philadelphia. This is kind of a microcosm of the Brave season so far. They outscored Philadelphia 24-12 to 12 in the four games and split the series, which is like, yep. you just it's just very on brand. It's the only way, only way I have to say that. Obviously, that's driven by the 15-3 win. I'm not, I'm not stupid. I understand that. But it's just pretty ironic and interesting that they just cannot seem to go over the top and once again they had a chance to get to 500 i know they've been there before but they've not get up, got over that hump that continues at this point in time and they're still too under because they just can't do it and they wasted tukey's outing on sunday i mean tukey was incredible as we said before but you know aaron nola is really good don't get me wrong so there's no like great shame sure. in losing to sure. zach wheeler and aaron nola over the weekend i'm not like completely ins- completely insane but you have to win some of those now because this is the hole you've dug yourself where you guys start winning some games and they didn't really do it. Oh, one thing that I have to mention because I made the note uh, on, the, on the hitting side. Uh, Pablo Sandoval. <laughs> uh, oh. I love Pablo, but Pablo has a sub 250 OPS for the oh. last two months. Uh, he's one of his last 28 with five walks. Um, oh. So, And it's not as if Pablo gives you anything else. Like his entire role is that. So yep. I'm not trying to pile on. And you could certainly argue it's a small sample size, but that's it's a small sample size role like you only get to hit once a game basically (laughs) and when you're when you're one of your last 28 it's kind of tough to roll you i mean it's silly in my brain to like advocate for like adrianza to hit ahead of him but that's kind of where we are yeah you're right i mean i i don't want to lose the the panda hugs at the end of the bench uh he seems like a a great fit in the clubhouse somebody argued to six uh, put him on 60 day il so he could still be he could still be in the in the, in the dugout but and making major league money but not be on the roster anymore I was like, <laughs> there you go i was yeah. like that's kind, of, kind of sinister but i don't i don't hate it yes yeah. he's yeah. got a real bad oblique strain and he's gonna miss the he's next he's two months for the of season. the year uh, but, but amazingly he can still yeah he can yeah. still hug and lift 250 pound grown men when they hit a home run it's, it's a miracle <laughs> With an oblique strain, uh, exactly. right? Yes, but uh, no, it's it's been bad. I mean, again, one of the big concerns coming into the year was the the bench and some questionable depth. And of course, in the first month or so of the year, it was it was great. Adrianza was awesome. Um, Pablo, of course, had I think four home runs in the first three weeks of the year, all of which put the Braves ahead or tied the game. So th- there were certainly a lot of things to feel good about early on, but. 
as you said, I mean, an OPS below 250 uh, for the last two months is really tough, especially when he is almost by default the guy in late inning pinch hitting situations. Uh, that's tough. And, and again, it's kind of the hand you're dealt. There's not a ton of other options right now. I guess you could maybe look at a Travis Demerit type and Gwinnett to help out the bench a little bit here, but there, there's just not a whole lot of options. And you hope that Pablo can, he did hit the ball well on Sunday. It was just fielded by the second baseman. Maybe that helps get him going a little bit, but yeah, it, it has not been a good, a tale of two seasons so far for sure. Sorry, Pablo. I apologize. Yeah. Um, Love the guy. Yeah. One Quick plug here for something on astronauttalkychop.com in written form. Stephen Tolbert joined us this week officially um, at B Outliers. Uh, very, very smart on the Twitter machine. Uh, and he wrote about the terrible pitching for the Braves this year in high leverage situations, which I actually learned a lot from that because I wasn't... It seems like it's true, but you look at the numbers, it's even worse than you thought. I won't give the whole thing away, but essentially the Braves have been about a league average pitching staff this year on the whole, but they've been a bottom three or four pitching staff in high leverage situations all year long, which is a reason or at least a pathway to losing baseball games when you cannot pitch in high leverage situations. So yeah, it's yeah. Check out the article. I did not realize it either until Steven wrote about it. And I'm like, you know what? I believe it you. Makes, but... <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. It really does. When I think about the last, what are we four months in? I, the last four months would certainly jive with that. So yeah, be sure to check out that article. Yeah, I could read the entire thing for you on the podcast, but I won't do that now. But uh, it, just spoiler alert, it's, uh, it's worth reading and it definitely tells a little bit of the story as to why the Braves have been what they've been this year because sometimes you have to sequence things correctly and the Braves have not done that very well this year. They've been better in game situations. And that's also how they have a positive run differential this year and also have the record they have is that Sequencing is not been a strength. I looked this up. Do you know how many games? I'll, I'll tease you with that. Uh-oh. How many games above 500 is the Braves' uh, Pythagorean record? Oh, Lord. Um, so I know they're like, what are they, plus 40-ish right now in run differential? Yeah. They've had a couple of big blowout wins to push that, but yes. I would say they played 98 games. I would say their Pythagorean is 52 and 46. Oh, you nailed it. That's pretty good. That's uh, that I, I almost crazy. said fifty three, but I was trying. I couldn't decide back and forth, so I'm I'm not I'm not, I'm not that smart. I was just trying to do the math <laughs> in my head. No, but that tells you what is that eight games below the, uh, better than where they are right now? There yep. you go. That's 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 the season. That's, to Stevens' <laughs> point, and as everyone knows, how just terrible the bullpen has been in close games. Uh, yeah, that that would explain this the eight win difference. You talk about where this team would be at six games above five hundred versus this never-ending one to four games below 500 that they've seemingly been at the entire year um that that all jives and it's uh it has been a frustrating year so far to say the least uh that is well said all right before we get out of here we'll look ahead now to the week ahead and also the trade deadline so the deadline is this week it's actually at a weird time it's friday at 4 p.m um it's normally the 31st, but because it's a weekend, that's the explanation that I read at MLB.com this week. So the deadline is Friday. So essentially the Braves have five games before the deadline, uh, and they're all against the New York Mets, which is ironic because the Mets will be in the division right now. Uh, they're five back. So if the Braves were to sweep the Mets in a five-game series, they'd be tied. Yeah. Uh, that seems unlikely, but it's possible. They're six games behind, behind the loss column. I looked this up before we started recording. 538 has the Braves projected at 82 and 80, which is still better than they've been so far this year, and an 18% chance to make the playoffs. That seems you know conceivable to me. But 
you know, we don't have to tell you if you're listening to this podcast that this is the, this is the series of the year essentially because if the Braves go out and lose four out of five, they're probably done. Um, it's over. If they yeah. go out and win four out of five, it's a whole new ball. <laughs> it's on, baby. So on. Uh, as much as that is like, it's so crazy that the Braves are actually within one four and one series from really being in the middle of this thing. But because the National League East has stunk this year, they're still very much alive. So I don't even know where to go with this, Scott. Like. No. We all know how big this is, so what are you, what are you going to say about it? No, I, I think my takeaway is, and again, it's baseball. Weird things can happen. And they still have games left against the Mets head-to-head, so you could, in theory, make up some games, of course, later on. But realistically, you're five games back with two months to go. You're six back in the loss column. And while the Braves have had injuries, the Mets have also had injuries, and unlike Atlanta with, Acuna and Ozuna, the Mets are going to get healthier at some point. And they also have the financial means to add significantly over the next week. So with that said, I think you have to win at least three out of these five games. Realistically, I think four out of five would really make you feel good about leaving that series like you have a chance. They will not see Jacob deGrom, who is still battling through his forearm strain. Um, And for better or worse, I, I think you have to feel pretty good despite all the injuries about the Braves throwing out Morton and Freed and Smiley and Kyle Muller, who's been very good, and then Bryce Wilson is starting game two of the doubleheader on Monday. Um, it, it's tough to project whenever you're a team that's been significantly worse than the Mets all year long, at least in terms of record, but you have to find a way to win at least three of these games at bare minimum, if not four. Yeah, and... I know it's not like technically over if they don't do that, but just doing the math, it's it becomes very difficult if they don't win the series. Uh, you don't want to place too much of an emphasis on, on, on it, but it's getting late early, as they say. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then even if they manage to do what they need to do this week, they go to they play Milwaukee over the weekend. Milwaukee's pretty good, um, and the schedule's not terribly friendly from this point forward. So a lot of a lot will be dictated i think by what they do this week obviously they've they've been buyers in the smallest font possible so far they have <laughs> they have they have bought to this point but they've not really done anything of significant note and it's hard to see them really buying unless they do something between now and i mean between now and friday essentially with regard to their record because it's just kind of a tough sell on rentals like yeah if they yep. work, if they want to, if they want to go trade for Joey Gallo sure because that makes sense in a multi-season context. But the yes. rental thing just... I mean, I can't imagine them trading real capital for rental if they were to go 2-3 and three or 1-4 and four this, against the Mets. I, yeah. it's, it's probably simplistic, but it really is true, I think. I mean, can you imagine the reaction if they like made their biggest all-in trade in the Anthopolis era when they were seven games back? Like, it would just be <laughs> bizarre. It know. would. It, it's important to remind everyone listening, that in the three and a half years that Alex Anthopoulos has run the Braves, the highest rated prospect that he has traded at any point is Joey Wentz to the Tigers for the Shane Green deal. And he was like in the teens on our rankings. He was. On our our site, which I trust more than any of their other rankings. With a likelihood, it sounds like, not only was it Joey Wentz, but it was Joey Wentz who they probably knew needed Tommy John surgery and has an upside even if everything clicks for him as a you know number four starter in the majors. Um, so this is not a guy who has been reckless. He is a guy, for better or for worse, who has held on to his prospects. So yes, if you are looking for a crazy blockbuster deal, unless 
there is an opportunity to add someone like a Joey Gallo or uh, any number of players who were signed in 2022 and preferably beyond then, I, I think if they add, they will add, um, I guess we'll call them smaller moves like the Jock Peterson, someone who can certainly help, but you're not pushing any chips in for. And if on the chance that they do lose four out of five games or even three out of five to the Mets this week, there are a couple of pieces who we should probably talk about where I know that Anthopolis said a week ago after the Peterson trade that they are not selling and they're in this. But I think you at least have to have the conversation and maybe pick up the phone and call a couple of GMs because you you can certainly uh, guarantee that if they do make some of their trade pieces available, they could get a pretty nice return for some of them. And, and hey, if, if that's not the case, then nothing says you do have to make a trade. Yeah, so there are schools of thought here. And I, I think the Braves are less likely to sell today than they probably were two weeks ago because they haven't fallen further back. Yeah. Like, there was a yeah. chance they were going to fall seven or eight back by now, and it would have been a higher likelihood. Now that it's still five and the clock, you know, the thing is, I guess if they lose, literally lose the whole, all five against the Mets, they'd be 10 out, and it's like, okay, now we got to maybe look at selling. But <laughs> it's I, over. I, yeah, and I tend to agree, but realistically, I can't imagine Anthopolis practically selling unless they go 0-5. Maybe if they go one and four and one and eight four, back, I I think if they go one and four, you even even then that. I think they they honestly and we're guessing here quite clearly, but if, sure, so, sure, so everybody sure. knows uh, we are guessing if they go one and four, I think they probably would just do nothing rather than selling. Now I I would sell at that point. Don't get me wrong, but and I've heard this spaded about too, so I want to know what you think about this. I made the point that I think the only guy that they can actually get real value for other than Freddie, which is the nuclear option, is Morton. I think Morton has value. Uh, Morton's, Morton's an established guy. I know he's old, but it's not like it's a bad contract. It's a one-year deal, and everybody knows Charlie Morton's a good pitcher. He's been good in the playoffs. Like yeah. That's the kind of guy who you can get something for. Drew Smiley, I mean, I think you could, I think you could, you could trade Drew Smiley for, and not have to pay to get off of him, but do you really get anything back for Drew Smiley? Yeah. I don't really yeah. know the answer to that. So I think for me, selling in my view, is basically selling Charlie Morton. Because everybody else, yeah, you, if you're going to sell Morton, you might as well sell Smiley too. But you're going to get like a C-level prospect for Drew Smiley, I think. Right. Yeah, it, it never hurts to listen. And, and sure. honestly, I would not be surprised uh, five days before the trade deadline. I'm guessing that Anthopolis has probably called teams with an obvious need for starting pitching. A team that's like Boston. Part, that's part of his team, job. I mean, of course. Of even if course. he's not going to do it today, he he better be gauging the market. To, that's just that's just a responsible thing to be doing. Right? right. The very hypothetical. Hey, Brad. I know you want Charlie Morton. We're not ready to sell, but if we go one and four, if we go one five this, this week, week <laughs> right? What yeah. what are you thinking realistically? And and again, we are not privy to those phone calls no. or whatever they are. But and he's really good, by the way, at not leaking. Alex Anthopoulos is. is like a legend at not leaking things. Hence the <laughs> Jock Peterson trade at one in the morning. Like they don't leak, they don't leak trades. They don't leak. If it's a leak coming out of a Braves thing, it's on the other side or it's an agent. It's not the yes. Braves. They don't leak. It is. Um, so yeah. So with that in mind, be skeptical of any uh, rumors that, that that are reported over the next couple days. This is kind of a crazy time of year with with baseball reporters and Twitter and and all the above. But yeah, I, I think. 
obviously, best case is the team goes four and one or five and zero against the Mets this week, and you can make some moves to keep this team competitive, try to make the playoffs because it is looking like, and not to look too far down the road, but the likelihood is you would see the Milwaukee Brewers in the first round of the playoffs and avoid the juggernaut buzzsaw that the three National League West teams are. You know, if, if the Braves made a couple of, of small moves and, and a few things went their way, you look at Milwaukee's roster. I mean, it, it is not like the 2018 Braves-Dodgers series where it's like there's no chance. Um, they could win a couple of playoff games. The question, of course, is can they get there? And if you have a couple of bad days in New York, you know, can you get to that point? And should you even try if you do fall farther back than five or six games um, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see the trajectory over the next, what, 96 hours or so. I think you, I, and everybody else will have a really good picture and idea of where the Braves are moving forward. If this season's going to happen, if they're going to make a push in August and September, or if, if the injuries and, and just the lack of upside on this roster and lack of depth is finally going to take its toll and, and kind of have them bow out a little bit. Yeah, and that's one of the arguments against buying, like, just so we talk about buying for a second, one of the arguments against that is that this team, as constructed, without Ronald, without Azuna, without without Soroka, is just not that good. I mean, if we're being practical, yeah, they can get on a run here, but we've said it a number of times in the last month or so, but no one would have picked the current roster to win the division this year. No one would have done that. At least I wouldn't have. Um, no, no. So... So one of the arguments against buying, even if you, even if for some reason they go four and one, or they go five and zero this week, and suddenly they're either tied or they're down by two games, that's because they are in a bad division more than anything else. Um, but winning the division, anything can happen in the playoffs. Like you can certainly get hot and get weird. So I'm not saying they can't buy. It's just there is an argument against that because it's not like you have this situation where Ronnie's coming back and Ozuna's coming back, and here comes right. you know this right. is not going to be the roster that we thought it was going to be. Those guys are out for this. I mean. I know Ozuna's not out for the season, but that I can't imagine him playing this year. Acuna is out for the season. Soroka is out for the season. So yeah. this is not going to be the October 2020 Braves. They're not coming back this year. So, yeah, if you can buy someone that matters long-term and spend some capital on that, I'm totally fine with it. Yeah. Um, but I'll, it's just hard for me to see that being a practical option. Oh, we should... I, I was going to ask you this before. Is there anybody on the roster that's not a one-year deal that you would maybe sell on i guess will smith's the only other guy because yeah. they can't possibly sell any of the young guys that makes no sense at all because they're all even the guys who are locked up long term are on cheap contracts yeah uh, yeah do we even want to do the three minutes on freddie freeman i, I can't imagine that's going to happen <laughs> I, there's no way freddie has talked a little bit in recent weeks about looking forward to the future and it all started with the dave o'brien interview and um i i I would be. He would have. Okay, think, this, here's the thing. Freddie would have to go to them and say, I'm not yes. signing. Yep. That would be the only way that I could practically see the Braves trading Freddie would be if he literally said, I'm not coming back. Like that clearly, like there's no chance of coming back, which I don't think he's going to say. So I don't me, either. I, I would be stunned. Me too. I mean, so, I, I and that's, that's I just, just want to say, because I've, I've kind of alluded to it in a joking way in the last few weeks, like, we're not going to talk about that. This is the podcast we have where we have to do it for five seconds. I, I can't imagine them trading Freddie without literally that scenario happening, and I don't think that's going to happen. So yeah. there is an yeah. argument for it, honestly. If you thought, if you were Liberty Media, if you were Alex, and you thought that Freddie was like a 90% chance to get to leave in the offseason, I'm not saying that's happening. I'm saying if, if you knew that 
or thought that internally, you have to have a meeting about trading. But I think it's not going to happen. And the problem with that is that he could leave for nothing, and that's going to look really bad. If the Braves, I'll just say it out loud, if, if the Braves lose the division by seven games this season and Freddie leaves for nothing, that is like a nuclear winter. <laughs> like, I, 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 I know that they have a lot of, they, they would still, I would come on the show probably after that and say, look, they still have a really good young roster. This, the, the future is still reasonably bright. But man, that, the combination of what this season could have been with a bad outcome on the field and then Freddie leaving for nothing is just a disastrous scenario that, by the way, is no longer inconceivable. We all thought that was gonna, not going to happen. And uh, I'm not telling you what's going to happen, but you have to understand at this point, with no new deal in late July, there is definitely a scenario where Freddie leaves. Like that's that's on the table now. I'm sorry, it just yep. is. So it, it is. I think yes. To, to answer, I guess all of the above. I, I I mean, what you never say never, but I think it is highly unlikely, outside of that exact scenario, that Freddie's going to get moved. Um, looking at the rest of the roster, Charlie Morton, Drew Smiley are probably the two obvious ones of the players who are signed beyond this year. If if a team wants Will Smith, your I guy. Would not, your guy yeah, will my, my guy and really it's more just the contract if you could get out of the 13 million dollars that he's owed next year and then just kind of we, we've talked about the opportunity to hit the reset button a little bit this winter and and for all the reasons above it's it's not like a rebuild or a teardown is in order by any means but there is a chance as there is every offseason but especially with the way this roster is constructed you could hit the reset button and, and look at things a little differently and, and revamp the roster with that way. Um, I, I don't know if, I don't know if teams are interested in Will Smith. I think he's probably better suited as a good eighth inning guy versus a closer for at least for a team that's trying to win a world series. Um, who knows where the financials would shake out with that too. And uh, Chris Martin has not been nearly as good since he lost the sticky stuff. <laughs> He's owed yeah. $3 million the rest of the way. He he might have some value if a team, if the Braves don't, if things don't go well over the next four or five. Oh days. yeah. He should be, uh, we should have mentioned before he, he should, he's an, he's an expiring too. So he yep. should be, he's right there in that Drew Smiley zone where they don't have as much value as Morton, but you could probably trade them and get the money off your books if you wanted to do that. Um, yep. Just for the record, the Braves have exactly three players under contract for 2022 that are making more than $5 million. Mm-hmm. And they are Marcelo Zuna, which is a giant question mark, but obviously, yep. uh, Will Smith, and Ronald Cooney Jr. That's it. Because yep. Freddie's a free agent. Morton's a free agent. Um, all the guys who are making real money this year are free agents. Uh, Jock Pierce does have a $10 million mutual option, but mutual options are not always likely to be picked up. And then sure. Ozzy is somehow still making five million next year, which is just preposterous. Oh. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so to the long-term multi-year guys, like they don't really have multi-year guys to trade. They're obviously not going to trade Ozzy or Ronnie. Uh, so Will Smith's really the only. I mean, and Ozuna, you just you can't possibly trade him right now, but for for a number of reasons, yeah. like he has no value. So it's basically expirings and Will Smith. Those are your options to trade. And I guess maybe like you know Darno's expiring if he got healthy. Uh, which he's not going to be able to get healthy before the deadlines. So that, that's kind of the thing. Like you'd be trading him into a void where he hasn't played in however many, and, how, and however long. Yeah. He's the only other guy that's making any real money on this team right now. It's eight million dollars and it's expiring. So yep. that that's more of a scenario if they actually go zero and five. Like if if it's if it's Thursday night and they're and they're ten games back, and Alex looks at the standings and he's like, "All right, 
open bidding on these five on these five guys. It's time to tear this, yeah. thing, this, this thing to the studs. Um, so yeah, I think practically speaking, no one, even the biggest Braves masochist, could project an zero and five this week. They could, they certainly could go on five, but I think realistically they're probably going to go like three and two or two and three because this is baseball. <laughs> Very on brand. Yeah. yeah. So and if they do that, I mean Scott. Two questions. If they do that, if they're if they're five or six back, or four to six back, five days from now, two questions. Mm-hmm. Number one, what does Anthopolis do? Number two, what would Scott Coleman do? <laughs> Dangerous things. Um, I know. I, I think, and it's funny. It is so. It will be so on brand if this team goes two and three or three and two this week, um, because that is what they have done for the better part of the entire year. Uh, Let's say it's trade deadline morning and you're you're five games back. I think both I and what Anthopolis will do is add small pieces. The added Jock Peterson type who is on a one year plus an option deal for a non-consequential prospect. Um, you know, you talk about needing an outfielder. Funny enough, somebody mentioned that Adam Duvall with the Marlins is available. Oh, baby. Come on, come on, come on, come on, Adam. Those it's time. Type, and, and not that necessarily it has to be Duvall, but those <laughs> types of players, right? They may not add Craig Kimbrell to the bullpen, but they might go out and add a, you know, what Shane Green was two years ago or what a Chris Martin was two years ago. A, a good reliever, but not a transformative bullpen overhaul. Um, so that that is my official guess as of Sunday night with five days to go, both what I would do if I were running the team, which is just a funny thought, um, <laughs> and what Alex Anthopoulos will ultimately do, as long as there is no extreme of either a 5-0 and or yeah. an 0-5. I, I think that's what's going to happen, like the jock deal. You keep the fans interested. You're not You're not punting. But unless there's just a no-brainer opportunity to add a player like a you know a genuine star who is signed through 2022, 2023, I, I just don't think any major chips are going to get pushed in. But if you can keep not only a team competitive and relevant, but also continue to sell tickets and fill mm-hmm. up Truist Park over the last two months, which is very much a thing, um, I, I think I think that also plays a, a factor. So that is my long-winded way of saying. I think they will do something, but I don't think it's going to be anything drastic one way or the other. I'm very glad you mentioned the ticket selling thing, because as much as that might seem stupid, that is a, that is a factor. It is a practical, real-life factor that the Braves would like to keep that place semi-full the next, oh, yeah. two, the next two months. They just, yep. they just would. You can laugh at that if you'd like to, and it might sound funny, because it kind of is, but that is a reason why they, why they won't sell, yep. is that if you start selling... You are waving that flag to your fans, like, all right, we know we know this is kind of over, and maybe maybe there's a half measure. Maybe you like sell on Smiley and not on Morton, or you like, you know, there's ways to do that in like a more nuanced way. But that is one of the reasons why I don't think they're going to sell is because even if you could add some interesting-ish prospects, you will be telling your fans that you don't think this is this is going to happen, which we know that they may not happen, but we're not the target, honestly. Like, we're not the target fan that buys tickets for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's interesting to me. There's lots of nuance here, and uh, the most likely scenario is what we just said, like a two and three or three and two, because that's just, it's baseball. I mean, these teams are not that far apart. As much as the Mets are five, five ahead of the Braves, 
they're not worlds better than the Braves are in, in this in the series. So if you ask me which what is the if I had to bet my life on one outcome of the next five games, I would probably say three two Mets. Yeah, or maybe, and, or maybe three two Braves. Those are the two options for me. They're like most likely scenario. So that means you're down either four games or six games in the standings at the end of this. Yeah, <laughs> which is where we are. And in being four or six down in a division would prompt a team to go out and add those small pieces to go by. Meaning, yeah, get, right. I mean, but not, you, but not go all in. Yeah, it's it's a buy, it's a nuance. A lot of this is buy versus sell. And as I think we we've just laid out for twenty minutes, there are layers to both. There are yes. little sell. Little buy, all in buy, all in sell. And I think the all ins are the least likely scenario on both sides. I, I think the nuclear sell, the nuclear sales unlikely and the nuclear buy is unlikely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm happy to be wrong. I would love for them to trade for Joey Gallo like tomorrow night. That'd be cool. I would, I would really cool. like that. He's, he's awesome and that would be fun. Uh, yeah. But also, we've just said that's the kind of thing that you could still do because he's under contract for multiple seasons. Like right. the one thing that I cannot see them doing. I'm sure I'm going to sound stupid. I can't see them using like top 10 prospect capital to trade for an expiring contract. Yeah. I just can't imagine that happening. I was going to make that exact point. They are not going to give up two top 10 prospects to get two months of Chris Bryant. Like that, I would be stunned if that happened. I, I tend to, I mean, they could, they could trade for Chris Bryant, but it won't be, it'll it be, be, it'll be, it'll be because there's no market. It'll be because yes, the Cubs be value are trying to sell him and they don't have a taker. Like, like the Peterson deal. I mean, Honestly, the fact that they got Jock Peterson, even if you don't like Jock Peterson very much, the fact that they got Jock Peterson for one, like not that exciting prospect, yeah. is yeah. a good value. That's what we said on the podcast. So even if you didn't love them, quote unquote, buying, that was buying without buying. You know what I mean? Like you got some, you got a guy who is a real talent, and you get it for a guy who I think was outside the top twenty on our brace prospect on our prospect list for talking job. So like if it, if that deal's out there, if if it's the equivalent of Joey Wentz for Chris Bryant, then you do it. That's fine. But if it's going to be you know Michael Harris for Chris Bryant, you don't do that. No, no. So I'm just saying I'm just throwing out a name that's top that's a top target. Of course, but. no, absolutely. I mean I think the point, and not just for Chris Bryant, but any player who, I mean really, you're trading for two months and maybe the playoffs for him. Um, and, and given. All of the injuries, sure. If if Ronald Acuna was healthy and if Marcelo Zuna was healthy and didn't have a, a very serious pending legal matter on his on his docket and the bullpen was in a little bit better shape, sure, go in, push some chips in. If you have to get, overpay a little bit to get Chris Bryant for two, you know, for the playoff push and a potential World Series, go for it, right? But given everything that's gone on, just so many things have gone wrong for this team this year. I would be very, very surprised with a cautious general manager uh, to really push some chips in for a guy, unless it's like a reliever. I mean, sure, if you have to give up a, a C minus level prospect for two months of a reliever, I, I'm not going to lose sleep over that. But who knows? I, I, the good news is, I think one way or the other, we'll have a much, much better picture of where this team is going to be um, after the next you know, four days and five games. I would agree. All right, Scott. Well, uh, we can sign off there unless you have more things to fire away about. Uh, we've, I think we've, we've sufficiently established that the next five games are going to be very interesting, if nothing else. Um, as far as podcast scheduling this week, we will have the Daily Hammer. Um, if they do pull off a big, big trade, we might break in with some Talking Chop emergency stuff. But if it's just a run-in-the-mill Stephen Vote trade, it will be handled on Daily Hammer. So just check out the podcast. <laughs> 
the uh, 1 a.m. Yeah, the 1 a.m. emergency Stephen. Yeah, Boat that was not. Ha- I, 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 I honestly, I do really appreciate all the tweets every time that there's any kind of roster move at one in the morning. Oh, yeah. I will definitely take the tweets, fire them at me. <laughs> um, but emergency podcast was not going to happen for Stephen Boat. I, I apologize, everyone. Uh. Also, there was a Tukey emergency podcast uh, call. Something else that was happening that I was there. Emergency show. I'm like, ah. Uh, no, not this, not this time. Mm, but next time we'll be here. There'll be plenty of podcast content this week. Road to Atlanta is coming, I believe, tomorrow or Tuesday. Daily Hammer will be uh, three or four times this week, and then we'll probably do a wrap up show of some kind after the deadline. Again, the deadline's kind of a weird time. It's four o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, so it will not be a rapid reaction because we have jobs and I'm on the road and Scott. It's one o'clock p.m. Eastern time for Scott and all this <laughs> stuff. So just yeah. subscribe to the podcast. Best thing to do to subscribe to find the yes. show when it happens is to subscribe. Simply put. Yep. We will. Uh, yeah, we'll be here. And and hey, hopefully it's it's a good next couple of days. Let's hope, man. If for a team that has been just hasn't been able to shatter that glass ceiling of five hundred all year, wouldn't it be both funny and, and kind of ironic that if they they have their best week of the year and and blow up against the Mets, that would certainly answer some questions and and make this podcast a lot of fun just knowing that uh hey we like doing these things when the team is good and there's obviously been a lot of good storylines uh this year and and hopefully the next i don't know 100 hours or so will give (laughs) us a lot of good stuff to talk about yeah listen there is no love for the mets on this podcast so the braves want to go out and go five and oh this week no objections here we would we would (laughs) would thoroughly enjoy that it would be tied be rocking and rolling and we have all kinds of uh, juice to talk about so Anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. Thanks to Scott for joining me. As always, one more time, please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy, however you want to do that. We'll see you next time.